I'm going to lead number 556 for our last song. Y'all came in and I was looking a little distracted because I couldn't get this stupid thing to work. <laughs> I tried a bunch of different settings and so it's not broadcasting. I guess it's an internet issue. So it's, it's recording, so we'll put it up later. But, but you came in and I didn't say hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I know we had a lot out this morning, so I was trying to get it so it'd be available, but uh, it's not to be. Um, so I'm going to quit worrying about stupid things of tech support, which is not my job. <laughs> and we're going to worry about worshiping the Lord. So number 556 will be our song. Um, and we're going to try and go up a, a little bit reach verse, maybe a quarter step. I don't know. We'll see what we do. <laughs> I invite you to stand and sing number 556. Alleluia, Alleluia, let us praise our Lord and Savior, come into
Brother Shane, will you lead us in prayer? Have your Bibles It'll be in Matthew chapter two. Last week we looked at Jesus' birth and the period in which they named him after the eighth day, as the angel instructed, named him Jesus, God saves. And they had a period of uh, Mary's separation for purification under the law, and then after that they went up to Jerusalem to offer as was required under the law. This is when we're going to pick up after that point. This is when uh, Jesus is going to have the visitors of the wise men. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. All right, so a few things to unpack in this. One, we got to deal with the storybook misconception of that the... Magi, or wise men, showed up on the night that Jesus was born. Uh, also, that they were kings. There's you know, three kings from the Orient. I, all it says is that they were wise men from the east. It doesn't say they were kings. It doesn't say where in the east. Now, if you look on a map from Jerusalem and you go east, you know what you run into a whole lot of? Desert. <laughs> Pretty much until you get to the Tigris and Euphrates, which is over in modern-day Iraq, which is where you've got... <coughs> Babylon, and uh, where the Persian Empire capital was of Shushan. Those are kind of the first cities, <laughs> big cities that come from the east. Those are a far piece, all right? When, uh, I believe it was Ezra, came from Shushan, 
It took him about four months to travel from Shushan. It's like 750 miles. Y'all imagine walking to like Dallas. Okay? That's, that's your scale to travel. Okay? And so these wise men, these magi, they saw the star in the east and they knew that meant the birth of the king. That was what they came and asked. They said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They didn't say, is he born? And say, is it a boy? They said, where is he born king of the Jews? They just want to know where he was at. They saw his star. So most likely, my best understanding is this star appeared when he was born. And so you see the star, and these people were able to understand that this meant that the king of the Jews had been born. And even if you left that night, you got a long way to go. Okay? So when exactly did this occur? I don't know. Most likely no shorter than four months and no longer than two years, as we'll see later on. How many were there? I don't know. Folks will speculate there's three because there's three gifts. There's at least two. All the words are plural, but it doesn't give us any more description. So don't, don't get caught up in what we will read in cartoon versions um, and impose that on to the Scripture. Another thing that I just caught is I always assumed they went straight to Herod. Y'all always kind of figured that? Let's read what it says. It says, They came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. They went straight to the king. How did all of Jerusalem find out about it? Most likely, these magi came into the city and they started asking folks, where is he? And it made its way all the way up to the king. Okay? Now, the wise men. What, what is a wise man? Sometimes uh, we don't look that very closely. The word there is what we get the word magician from, magi. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Acts chapter 13. And that's referred to a guy who was a sorcerer. That's how it was translated then. He was a sorcerer who tried to get in Paul's way. There was a deputy of the island of Pathros, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, Paul's coming to preach. He didn't like it. He tried to interject himself, and uh, Paul smites him with blindness. The Lord does through Paul. Um, but that was he's called that twice. You know, read Acts chapter 13. You can see about that. A sorcerer. Same word. Not a very positive connotation. Um, Sometimes I've heard folks try to conjecture these were uh, some of the Chaldeans or astrologers or sorcerers who hung out with Daniel back in the captivity. You know, so that would be some 400 years before this. That's an interesting thought, but there's nothing to support that other than just guessing. So we won't try to do that. All right, so you've got these wise men, these sorcerers, if you will, who were blessed enough to know that the king of the Jews had been born based on this star. All right. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That troubled means to be roiled. You know, imagine a boiling pot. There's, there's some discomfort going on. But it wasn't just him. It was all Jerusalem. They were discomforted by the concept of the Christ being born, or one who had claimed to be the king. But when Herod heard it, what did he do? He gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born. He may not have asked them why. 
he may not have said, you know, these guys are talking about them being born. He could have just been asking them an academic question. We don't know. But he gathers the top ones who know the law and say, where is he supposed to be born? When Christ comes, where is he supposed to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And this particular prophet is the prophet Micah. This is from Micah 5.2. And the text says, And thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judea, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. You say, why do they have to clarify Bethlehem of Judea? There's more than one Bethlehem. So it's telling you specifically which one it is. Now, do you know what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. What does Jesus describe himself as? The living bread. Born in the house of bread. And you've got to eat his body, which is what we'll be doing later. The symbol of doing that later. All right? So thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, a ruler, a leader, that shall rule my people Israel. Now, when y'all think of that word rule, what image do you get in your head? A king, right? Someone with power, someone with, you know, ruling. You know what that rule really means? It means to lead like a shepherd. Oh. Yeah. Like he thinks he's very so clean. That's what I think of when I think of the word rule, but this word rule is very different. This is leading like a shepherd. Who is Jesus? The good shepherd, right? The one who lays his life down for the sheep. So even in that prophecy, it's pointing to his role as the shepherd. All right? Then, when he had called privately, when he had privately called the wise men. All right, so imagine his court. He had all these wise folks who gave him his answer. He then sends them away. All right? He's troubled by this. Privately, he calls in the wise men. 240, I don't know. Calls them in and inquires of them diligently. The word inquired of and diligently are the same Greek word. It means to be exact. I want to know exactly when that star appeared. What's he trying to figure out? How old this kid is. This threat to me is king. Because the Christ had the right to the throne of David. And so he didn't want anyone growing up to make that claim against him. Because like all men, he assumes he's going to live forever or at least longer than now. And so we need to take care of this threat. It's a threat to me. It's a threat to my children who will reign after me. All right? He inquired of them diligently to be exact what time the star appeared. All right? When they gave him that information, he sent them to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, in your mental map, is about nine miles south of Jerusalem. Sometimes, for some reason, I put it over there by Bethany. It's not. It's south. All right? Jerusalem's actually been built on a mountain range that goes along the edge of the Jordan. So down that mountain range, along the top of the mountain, so you can get to Bethlehem. Right? So if you had to hike it, imagine walking down to Enigma. That's your scale. All right? So he sent them. Go and search diligently for the young child. This is instructions. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Here he is being a lion dog. All right. Notice they didn't say that they agreed. It says when they heard the king, they departed. 
So they got their marching orders from this king, and they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. All right, so wherever they're come from over in the east, whether that was Shushan or whether that was farther over, they saw a star. They knew it was the king. They headed to Jerusalem, where the king of the Jews might likely be. And they're asking, where is he? All right, so it had been there for quite a while. The whole journey, most likely. Now when they depart, we assume it's at night. The Lord can use brightnesses that are brighter than the noonday sun during the daytime, so it didn't have to be. I mean, he did that with Paul when he was struck down on the road to Damascus. It was midday, and then a light shone that was, shy, that was brighter than the sun in its heat. Right? But either way, they saw a star, and it went before them. It was moving. And it came and stood. And then it stopped. So it's leading them. Because you imagine, all right, hey, uh, Zach, go to Enigma and find where that baby is. There's a bunch of houses there. You're you going to go door to door? And they've been, you know, already on the road for quite a while on this really kind of odd journey. Right? How are we going to find this one? We went to the capital. They didn't know where he's at. And they sent us off to this little small hamlet nine, ten miles down the road. And the star leads them. And it stood over where the young child was. So, all these little Facebook things. Oh, the star of Bethlehem's going to be out tonight. This was not an ordinary star. God could use an ordinary star, but you're not going to get a precise house location from an ordinary star. <laughs> right? This has got to be something different. This is something special. And so it came over where the house was and stood. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. With exceeding great joy. It wasn't even they'd seen Jesus yet. They saw the star. They had been given the answer to where their quest was to end. They came and stood over where the young child was. Right. And what exactly the star was? I don't know. The Lord's infinite in power. He can use whatever he chooses. But he got these men from wherever they came from in the east to the exact address they needed to be. And when they were come into the house, again, this was not the manger, this is not the barn. This was significantly later than that. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. That's a different word than Luke would use to describe the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. A babe is infant. Young child is a childling. Probably more akin to what we would describe as a toddler. Now, when Herod would try and kill everybody, he'd kill everyone from two and under. So this kid is most likely somewhere between six months. And I don't know, a year and a half, you'd think he'd put some kind of extra buffer in there just in case he missed. But that's just speculation. But it's not, it's not the newborn babe the night thereof. Okay? And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Alright? And I've heard sermons about what exactly these mean. Um, some referring to kingship, some referring to priestship, some referring to death. I don't know exactly what the symbolism of these mean, but I like patterns. I like patterns to see how things in the Old Testament point to Jesus, because Jesus on the road to Emmaus was explaining to his disciples, here are all the old things, all the things in the Old Testament that pointed to me. Right? And there's a bunch of them. Right? We, we weren't privy to that conversation but I like patterns and looking at things that it showed up back then and then it shows up here 
in or around Christ, well, that's probably something that's pointing to him. So, for example, uh, frankincense. Frankincense was the major component. Was it in the oil or the incense? Incense. Incense, okay. So, under the Old Testament law, the priests had to go in every morning and every evening and burn incense. Not on the big altar where they burned, uh, burned the animals. That was outside the tabernacle and later outside the temple. Inside, you had the table with bread on it, showbread. Over here, you had the candlestick, the 11 sticks, uh, whatever you want to call them. with seven flames, and then you had a small altar, a golden altar, and that was where they would burn the incense. Right? And that, was, that was a part of that ceremony. Every day, and then uh, when the high priest would go into the most holy, that separate room where the ark was, he'd only go in once a year, and that would go with blood, and he'd sprinkle it seven times. You know what he did before he went in there? He took a golden censer, filled it with coals and incense, and he shook that thing in there. So even when he was going in, it was cloudy. It was veiled. Even So even behind the veil, you weren't seeing clearly. But the purpose of the incense was it was a sweet smell, a sweet savor. All right? Jesus, in his life and death, is going to be the perfect sacrifice. And here's, here's the, the key to all of it. All the sacrifices, all the elements of the ceremonial worship in the Old Testament, all points to Christ. Right. He fulfills every single part of it. He is the perfect lamb. It's going to be offered outside without spot or blemish. He is the incense. He is the showbread. He is the knowledge of those seven lamps. You know, those are a little harder to get, but that the seven... And the lights are referring to God's all knowledge. His eyes that go everywhere throughout the earth and can see everything. His um, no, 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 that's being everywhere. Omniscient. Omniscient, knowing all things. Um, so Christ fulfills all of them. Okay, and so here's one where one of the examples of the the frankincense, that incense, that sweet smell before the Lord. Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. And so it's, it's pulling that forward and seeing here, points to our Lord. All right? The myrrh. The myrrh is the major component in the uh, anointing oil. All right? When the priest had to separate someone, um, when the priests were separated for the service of the Lord, they were going to be anointed with oil. It's going to be poured on their head, run down their face, under their beard. Right? This was a special anointing oil. It wasn't just any old olive oil. It had a compound of different ingredients. One of the major ones was myrrh. And nobody could make this at home. If you made it at home for your personal use, you were killed. Right? This was special. This was just for the Lord's use. And when they made all that furniture, the first time um, when they made uh, the ark and they made the tabernacle, uh, the, all the pieces of the furniture, the altars, they sprinkled them all with this anointing oil. Okay? And it smelled of myrrh. Right? That was one of the, the main components in the oil. Now you can see that frankincense and myrrh again show up in the Song of Solomon. I won't go to that this morning because we could spend all morning there, but read the Song of Solomon this, this, this week. Hard to read. The Who's talking jumps back and forth between um, the beloved, the male, Jesus, and then also the fairest of all, which is um, the church. I mean, it is a close, intimate relationship and one who's seeking the other and is coming, and, but you look for that pattern of frankincense and myrrh about the smell of her beloved and how it's dripping off his fingers at times. And so it's just all this imagery that the Lord weaves together throughout his text of his Bible to get here to point to, here it is. All right? And then gold, 
Gold's all over the Old Testament worship. I mean, the ark was covered in it, the walls of the tabernacle. You know, you got this ugly tent, right? It's got these uh, red badger, badger skins dyed red on the outside, and then other several layers in there. But when you go inside, the bars had all been covered um, with gold. Right? So you had these little little candles and all the gold reflecting off the walls. Right? And all this pattern pointing to Christ. Right? He's the perfect He's the perfect thing of, of value. I mean, gold's always had value in whatever culture you're in. It's to him perfectly. So much so that when we get to heaven, it just becomes paving stones because it don't even matter. Right? The streets are paved with gold. No one cares. You've got the perfect thing of value in the Lord. All right. So we won't spend any more, more time on that, but just my, my exhortation to you this morning is when you're reading, wherever you are, see how it points to Christ. And if it points in one spot, go see where else. Build those patterns. See how the Lord has interlocked His Word. And it's written over hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet it all flows perfectly together. Okay? All right, so the wise men, uh, these magi, are in the house. They've fallen down. They've worshipped. They've given these um, gifts. They're very valuable. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are not inexpensive things. Um, and in one sense, you could say that the Lord is funding the trip that they're about to have to take, right? Being warned of God in a dream, this is the Magi who are being warned, that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. So they didn't travel the nine or ten miles back north to Jerusalem and then head off east. They went a different way, all right? So they didn't go back and report to the king that here's where he was. Right? They were warned by God in a dream, all right? And... If you've been reading from chapter 1 in Matthew, this would be uh, the second dream where the Lord is sent to somebody to give them a message. The first dream was uh, Joseph when he received the dream that he, his wife is already, or his fiance is already expecting and he wants to put her away because he doesn't know what to do. And he gets a dream from the Lord explaining that what's within her was conceived of the Holy Ghost and that he can take her as his wife. Um, and so he does. So here you've got the next dream, warned, of, warned not to return to Herod. And they didn't. And then after that, when they were departed, so they've left, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Second dream for Joseph. Saying, Arise, and that arise really means wake up, and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek to seek the young child to destroy him. Right? So that was the real purpose for Herod asking the wise men, when was he born? They wanted, he wanted to destroy him. So second dream the Lord sends to Joseph. He sends it, uh, an angel, to tell him, Wake up! Take him and go. And when he arose, when he woke up, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. There are some times in your life where you will know what it is you're supposed to do. You will know when the Lord is sending you or not sending you. Don't delay. Sometimes you're waiting, Lord, I, I need an answer. I don't, I'm not sure. And other times, okay, wait. But when you get that answer, go. He didn't think, well, you know, we've got this table I've really got to finish. Um, it's carpenter. Um, and, and if I do that, then I'll be able to pay the taxes next year. And, then, uh, and so in about three weeks, I'll be able to get up and I'll be able to, to go and do what the Lord told me to. He got up then 
he arose, took the young child and his mother by night. Most likely the same night. He obeyed and departed into Egypt. Right? Uh, the closest point from you know, Bethlehem to Egypt, the Suez Canal, that's, that's like roughly walking to like Tampa. Okay. It's a journey. Okay. This was no small undertaking that he was being told to do. And he got up and he undertook it. Okay. So don't be overwhelmed by all the logistics or complications that may come when the Lord is sending you to do something. Do it. Okay. And they stayed there. All right. So they're in Egypt. The Lord has provided them finances, gold and frankincense and myrrh that they could trade or sell um, while they're there to support them on top of his ability to work. Um, and they stayed there until the king died. How long he lived up? I don't know. It doesn't say. All right. They were there until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And this is uh, Hosea, the prophet there. It's Hosea uh, 11 and 1 that they're quoting. So this is the, the third prophecy that's going to be mentioned in Matthew. And if you're reading Matthew and you want to see how the Old Testament points to Christ, read Matthew. He tells you a bunch of them. Here's the prophecy. Here's the fulfillment. Here's the prophecy. Here's the fulfillment. So this is another one that somehow the Lord was going to call his son out of Egypt. Well, he sent him to Egypt to um, keep him from Herod's grasp. All right? And fulfilled the prophecy when he came back. Now, before he called him back, Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. Now, how long it took him to figure it out? I don't know. A couple days? A week? There was some point where he realized those jokers ain't coming back. And he was mad. Exceeding wrath. And he sent forth and he gave the order that all the children in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof. Coast means the surrounding villages and towns. Anybody around there were to be slain from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So based on his time frame, he said... Two years old and under, I'm going to take him out. And we can read that, but really think about that. How horrific that's. I mean, we've got some politicians we don't like. No one's ever given an order like this. Not in my lifetime. Not in this country. And it was in fulfillment of another prophecy. That was fulfilled, that which was spoken by Jeremy, also uh, Jeremiah, the prophet saying, In Ramah, Ramah is a little town outside of the city of Bethlehem. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. You imagine the sounds of all those mamas and daddies. And this isn't some foreign invader. And Pharaoh, at least you could hate him, right? Kind of understand that he's your captive when he was killing all the kids back in Moses' time. This is your own king. Herod the Great, he rebuilt the temple. And he's slaying all these children. In Ramah, there was a voice heard. Imagine that just guttural 
wail and weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. And ask why it's mentioning Rachel there. Um, Jacob's wife Rachel died and was buried in Bethlehem. So it's an allusion to the city itself. They're weeping for their children and would not be comforted because they are not. But, so fast forward to however long Herod lived after that. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, wake up, take the young child and his mother into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And again, he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So it's the third dream that's been sent to Joseph. He obeys again. And they came to the land of Egypt, Israel. Excuse me. When he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father, Herod, Archelaus, um, Herod's son, is now in charge, he was afraid to go thither. Joseph was afraid. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee. Now, I've been confused on this notwithstanding. Um, is it he was warned to go anyway or to go somewhere else? Um, the notwithstanding is just a conjunction. It could be read as and, that he was afraid. And he was warned, um, but the ideas is, are connected. He was afraid to go thither, and being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee. So my, my best guess is that he is following yet again the dream, his fourth dream, saying, go into Galilee. And Galilee is the region to the north of Jerusalem. That's where Nazareth is. That's where Capernaum is. All there up north, farther up the... The mountain chain. All right. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be spoken, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. All right. And this, this word Nazarene, trying to figure out where do the prophets say that? That one's a little confusing. Um, in the Old Testament, there was the the concept of the people who were going to be put apart for a time to serve the Lord, they wouldn't cut their hair. Like Samson was one from birth. That's a, a Nazarene. You'd think it's referring to that. Apparently it's not. Apparently that's false alliteration. That's just words that sound the same, but they don't have any actual connection, uh, at least according to Strong's and some other Greek guys who know a lot more than I do. Um, but apparently the word Nazareth or Nazarene has a, in its root the idea of a branch. And Jesus would be described in the Old Testament as the branch. And that point of him being the branch and the vine, and all that goes into the hometown that he was born. Which makes sense um, why, uh, I think it was Nathan, I can't remember who it was. One of the apostles was so uh, kind of less than uh, enthused about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. You know, can any good thing come from, from there? Um, and so if it was, it was so easy to be the one-to-one of Nazarene and a, and a Nazarite like Samson, I think it wouldn't have been as shocking for him. But I can see the branch being a little bit more obscure. All right? So then they go and dwell in Nazareth. And that will get you back over to Luke right after they... In verse 40 of chapter 2. 
returned into Galilee, their own city, Nazareth. That's where they had been before they went down to Bethlehem to be counted or enrolled um, for the taxes or the census. Verse 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then we've got one other scene before um, his ministry starts, and that is when he was 12 years old. The child grew, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. You can imagine the big caravan of everybody going from Nazareth and Galilee. That's well, a lot of kin. They're all traveling in a you know, big old long chain herd, maybe some animals. And he's off playing with the kids. Or at least that's what Mary and Joseph think. And so they've already gone a whole day's journey back north before they discover it. So that means they got to take a day's journey to get back to Jerusalem. And it came that after three days, they found him. Now, I, I, can, I can kind of sympathize with Mary about being upset. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if that's three days since they last saw him or three days since they discovered he was missing. <laughs> right? There is a long period of time for any 12-year-old to be missing. All right? They came back, they're seeking him, and they finally found him. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Right? So he had, he's giving glimpses of this is not an ordinary child. He has got more knowledge than you would expect. They were amazed. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye have sought me? Wist ye, or knew ye not, that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. I could see that being a a confusing answer. Um, Particularly after your child has been missing for for so many days. Did you not understand that I must be about his father's business? And, And it was right for him to do so. You know that he didn't have any sin. But he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them for about another 18 years. He was 12 when he started his ministry at 30. He was subject unto his parents and did as they, they said. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that's our intro look into our Lord and Savior when the Word became flesh, born, visited by the wise men, fleeing into Egypt, eventually returning to Nazareth, and growing up there subject to his parents, all while living a a sin-free life. So his life started with gifts, And it's really going to end with some gifts, too. 
And uh, I'm just going to tie this in just a little bit before we go into our communion service. The Lord gave us the ordinance of communion. Ordinance is a, a command. It's not something that you can voluntarily choose to do or not to do, but to the churches, they are commanded to observe it. Um, the difference between that and uh, washing feet is the language that he used to describe foot washing was that happier you if you do it. It's, it's conditional. It's a voluntary, um, which is why we don't count it as an ordinance. The other one being baptism. Commanded to repent and be baptized and to observe the Last Supper where you have this reminder of the ultimate gift that he gave you and that of himself. It's more precious than gold. It was a more perfect sacrifice than anything that could be offered under the law or any animal. It was the most sweet-smelling savor. You know, it was the anointed. You know, he was the anointed. The Messiah means the anointed. So he was the anointed oil himself, and he was anointed of the Holy Ghost, not just of spices and herbs. But it all points to him and what he was going to do on, him, on the cross for each of his children. So, I'm going to stop there for now, and we will... Uh, Go into our communion service. Um, ask Brother Parrish if you'll join me up here. Yeah. I'll let you sit this way so you don't have to have your back to him again.